This podcast is a 98 Studios production. Hello, everyone. Joe Morton here for this edition of A Cup of Joe. Thank you for joining today. And I am super thrilled to have my guest with me, Sonny Joe Lawrence. We've been friends a long time. This is the powerhouse behind James Lawrence, the Iron Cowboy. And I'm absolutely thrilled and excited and honored that you would be here today, Sonny Joe. So thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for being here. I'm looking forward to it. Um, we've been friends a long time, uh, and and I've admired you. I'll watch you along. In fact, Karen said to me today, Karen, uh, when we I told her we, we were going to do this interview, she said, um, I think that she's reached sainthood. That's what she said about you, Sonny Joe. <laughs> I think you've reached sainthood. And she says, my goodness, to do what you've done, to be that pivotal and that important to one of the greatest athletes to ever watch the, walk the earth. It's amazing you said that because I told James, I said, Karen's the same as me. She's just nicer. <laughs> so I guess that compliment goes back to her. Oh, well, thank you. I will pass that on. Um, but as a, Quick introduction, Sonny Joe has been married to James for 23 years last week. That's right. Congratulations. Thank you. Wow. I'm proud of that. Not a lot of Absolutely. people make it that far, you know? You should be proud of that. Yeah, 23. I'm like, that's magical. We're already planning for the 25th wedding anniversary. And I'm like, only old people are married 25 years. We officially are old people. <laughs> Not even. Not even. Um, and you have five children. Yep. Four girls. Your caboose is a boy, mm-hmm. Quinn, the same age as my daughter, my caboose. So we had the opposite. We had, well, we had three boys and then a daughter. When was it? He's, he's like, is he in eighth grade? Yeah. Okay. So he, he had a late birthday. So I waited an extra year to put him in. So he's yeah. 14, but he's eighth grade instead of same as Same as our daughter. So they're in the same situation. So that's wonderful. Um, so I'm trying to think of where to even start with this whole journey because you are very pivotal and he talks about you all the time uh, in, what, in videos and you've got done podcasts together. In fact, in the book, and I want to read a little excerpt from the book here. Um, I mean, it comes back to you. You kind of started this whole Iron Cowboy thing, didn't you? Because you challenged him to do that. Yeah, kind of by accident. I didn't, I didn't know it turned into this. Maybe I would have thought twice about it. We, uh, cause he was not doing those events no, at that no. point. I mean, he always just weight trained and I used to say to him, Hey, you know, you really should be doing more cardiovascular exercise. Like men love to weight train and they never, ever do anything that strengthens the heart or lungs. And he's like, Oh no, no. So I signed us up for a run that I enjoyed doing, which is just a city run that's here locally. That's four miles. And he ran it, but he was coughing all day and he was in terrible shape afterwards and so I was like, man, you're pathetic. Like that, it's not that far of a run. Like, are you going to be okay? You know, he's like, no, no, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. Um, it took him a few days to recover from that. So I always wanted to run a marathon, but I was waiting till I could kind of get in shape and stay in shape to run that type of distance. But I decided it was just time. I had two children and I was like, let's do it. But what I did is I signed me and James both up and I didn't tell him. So I just kind of later was like, hey, by the way, we're doing a marathon. You're going to need to figure that out. Because I knew that he was going to prepare differently than I prepare. So I didn't tell him how to prepare. I just said, hey, figure it out. Like whatever that looks like for you. So his uh, friend Mike signed up as well. And the two of them did all their training together. And one of my favorite memories, we actually have a picture of this because it was so important to James. He wanted it documented. 
was they did a six mile run and it was snowing and they came home and they thought they were so amazing. They're like, we ran six miles. It was like one of the first long runs. And he was like, we ran six miles. Like we got to document this, have this picture of those two. And they're covered in snow. And, you know, they're like, yeah, like we killed that run. And I was like, oh my gosh, you guys really are pathetic. So that was like one of the funniest things is that first six mile run was so huge for them. Where to me, and I hadn't really done any endurance running or anything. I just had to stay in shape. But I was so shocked that that was such a big deal to them. You know, hindsight now it's like six miles for the Iron Cowboy. Anybody else would laugh about that, right? Then world record for the most Ironman distance, 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, 26.2 mile run, which shortly came out. That came shortly after that. Mm -hmm. And then on the tails of that, a couple years later, which is, we'll get into that in a second. Yeah, it was 10, 12, and then the 50 was in 15. 15. So that's how close they were. 50 iron distance events in 50 days in 50 states. And then two years ago, 100 iron distance events, 100 days straight. Well, ended up being 101. Why not? Just throw in another one. So, um, but it started with that. And it's hard for people to comprehend. They might like, I don't want to jump right to doing an Ironman or I want to. So true. Right through. But without understanding <clears throat> and respecting what has to go into place. And of course, you didn't know that. And you didn't know that that was where the path was going to take you. But that's the beauty of it. I think that if we did know most things in our lives, we wouldn't do them. You know, like if I had known things were going to be the way they were going to be, I probably would have never taken that first step. Because hindsight, you see the value in all of it, but foresight, you don't. So it's a lot scarier. I mean, there's a lot of power in knowing that that's his humble beginning because I'm not kidding you. Like he was coughing all day at that four miles. And I mean, it took him like 35 minutes to run it. It wasn't like it was, you know, an hour, an hour and a half or something. Like he was literally running for 30, 35 minutes and he was a disgrace. And then we ran that first marathon in April of 2005 and he couldn't walk for like a week. He was broken. He was totally broken. And he, you know, he's like, oh, I've got these bad knees from wrestling and I've got these bad knees and I can't walk. And, you know, I don't know if you told you that story, but his knees swelled up like cantaloupes that night. And, you know, I went to church the next day and everybody's like, what's the good news minute? And I'm like, oh, we ran a marathon and he ran it faster than I did, but I can walk today and he can't. And that dragged on for, you know, a week. And that's just to where he could like walk normal. So really there is a humble beginning to that where he started with the most basic things when it came to the sport of running or whatever, that he had to really work hard to build it up. And I want to point out, cause you're, you're adding in there just nonchalantly that you did the marathon. You're quite an accomplished endurance athlete, very accomplished. Well, it's relative. Because when you say that to somebody else who does endurance sports, it's not that accomplished. But I have definitely enjoyed endurance sports. For me, I enjoy the training, not so much the racing. So I did the racing because it was the social side of it. And I enjoyed one the most. I enjoyed the sleepovers. I loved the trips, the travel, the hanging out. Um, but the training, I really loved. So I still enjoy the training, but it's never been the racing for me. It's usually opposite. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did you do your first Ironman event in Havasupai? Yes. Uh -huh. yeah. yep. Okay. I, I was there with my son. I don't know if you remember, but I was with my son. We did the half. And I remember you doing your first 
um, first to, at that time. That was an exciting, that was a great event too. It was, beautiful. Oh, it was great. It was a party. Like for me, it was all about the experience and I executed that race perfectly. I, I stopped like three times to help people with flat tires and things like that. And I was just taking my sweet time. But by the time we got to the run, I ran a 10 minute mile and only walked the eight stations and finished with bliss and happiness. And not a lot of people could say that when they finished full distance triathlon. No. So no. I had a really great experience there. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. You played such an important role in James's journey. It's your journey. It's the, it's your all, all your journey, you and your five kids. And wow. I mean, so much has happened and I want to, I want to just share, I was just reading this, kind of want to highlight a little bit. It's the way the book starts. It's just captivating. It's been so long since I've read that book. I've read, really? I read it 21 times before we published it, mm-hmm. but it has been a long time since I picked that up. So I'm like, Ooh, what's he going to say? <laughs> James, when I opened my eyes, I saw my wife, Sunny seated beside me on the fold out bed. I'd passed out on 15 minutes earlier while sipping kombucha during a break during uh, between the cycling and running segments of today's solo triathlon. The, the only other people inside the motorhome were the wingmen, Casey and Aaron, which I'm stoked to have an interview with them this week as well. Workhorses. It goes on, goes on. You have to get up, love, Sonny said gently. A great, uh, gently. It's almost seven. You need to start running. I mean, what was it, what's that like? Like, you know that. Because you know that the next, he's going to have to go into 26.2 miles. How do you gently be there and such an important role? Well, there's, there's two different roles I had to play in unison. One was the drill sergeant and the marshal to make sure everything was executed properly. The other one was. And that was huge. (laughs) Okay. The other one, go on. That was intense. The other one was the only ally James had in this world. So if you're too much of a drill sergeant and you're jumping down his throat, you're not his ally. So it's similar with parenting, right? Your job is to kind of coach and instruct and lead and guide. It is not to be a drill sergeant. But it's also not to be so much of an ally that they don't learn how to be autonomous and learn how to function in this world independently. So it was all about exercising patience in the moment because you're dealing with a crazy person, right? There's, there's nothing in these experiences that was any part of the man that I married. It was this crazy person that was temporary in my life, you know? So it was having the ability to monitor and maintain my emotions properly and appropriately to where I saw it for what it was where I was able to marshal these experiences and make sure they were executed appropriately, but at the same time, show him that tender, loving care that really was what he needed. And, you know, James, people are like, oh, the Iron Cowboy. But James is like a total sissy. Like, he loves to be coddled. He likes to be treated like a baby. Like, he loves, I mean, he was the youngest child for seven years. It's his mom's only boy. I mean, he loves to be babied. So I'm the opposite. I came from like eight kids and it was all about like get your stuff done and get out the door, you know. So it's taken me time to learn how to be more like that, to be a better wife to him. And in those moments, I had to really make conscious decisions to give him what he needed emotionally 
which would allow him then to execute what he needed to do physically. What a balance. Because you had to be drill sergeant for the logistics. Yeah. I mean, the logistics alone, starting in Hawaii, Alaska, and then I can't remember, where did you go from there? Was it Washington? Washington. Washington. And then going to all the other states, finishing in Utah. It was no joke. It was no joke, man. I always tell people, I'm like, you think you want to travel the U.S. in the RV? Well, let me tell you, you don't. With five children. <laughs> like, yeah. Unfortunately for me, my kids are, they really contributed to the project, you know, and Dolly and Quinn were really young. They were only like five, five and seven. They were little. But my focus on top of that was making sure they had the best summer of their lives because I didn't want them to resent the project. I didn't want them to feel like we were robbing them of their lives. So it was important to make this project a part of their lives instead of trying to bring them into our life. And I mean, they just had the best summer ever. Running around, eating snacks, staying up late, catching, first time we saw fireflies, you know, catching live fireflies in Illinois and, you know, dirty feet every night. I have this great picture of them sleeping in the camper and their feet are poking out the end of the blanket and they're just black. And it was just like, like to be a kid and to run wild like that was so fun, you know? So to be able to offer that to my kids as well. And Lucy and Lily loved the campaigning part of it. They loved being a part of the 5Ks and getting to know people and networking and selling shirts. And everybody kind of had a purpose. And my kids made that really great for me. You know, they, they made it so I could really enjoy it. But I had to really make sure that I let them have fun on top of, you know, the project side of everything. Because I love them dearly and I wanted them to treasure that memory forever. How did you balance that? Oh my gosh. I always tell people, I'm like, you don't believe in God? Now is the time to start. Because when you do something like that. You must like have that, had a daily routine of some sort that gets I your wish. self. <laughs> I wish, Joe. I had a journal that I wrote in the first day and that was the only day I wrote the whole time. Because I, I thought, well, I could document it, you know, just document. But I mean, there was no time. There was no routine. There was no pattern. There was no nothing. It was utter chaos from the minute we started until six months after we finished. I mean, there was a day, I remember, uh, it's in the documentary of the book or both, where had the wrong signed shoes for James? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was Washington. Well, it was right when the wingmen showed up. So they showed up and I didn't know Casey and Aaron very well. Casey and oh, James. Oh, they weren't in Hawaii and. No. Oh, I didn't they know. They drove the RV in Medicine, Washington. Oh, okay. So Casey was one of James's friendly race rivals. And I, I didn't know Aaron. I didn't really know Casey either, right? Like Ryan and I had little kids. We weren't that involved in their race career. I didn't know that Casey was a yellow personality and like he was just like living the moment. Why would I know that, right? So when they showed up. Makes for things for, for fun days, though. <laughs> Yeah, he saved me. Casey saved me on the 50. He's the one that kept the mood where it needed to be. But I mean, they literally just hucked everything in the RV because they were pressed for time and hucked everything in the van. So when we got there, and, and James isn't really that organized. So he never told anybody what they were supposed to be doing. So Casey and Aaron show up. Everything's like literally thrown in a van and in the RV. They don't know where anything's at. They don't have any idea what their their jobs or responsibilities are. No one knew anything. I mean, it was literal chaos. So Aaron took off his shoes and gave him, let's see, I think Casey, maybe Casey was very So Casey gave his shoes to James. Aaron gave his shoes to Casey. So both Casey and James were running in shoes that are too small. But it was like, that was the entire trip. That was the entire 50 days. It was improvising with nothing going right every minute of every day. 
And yet it worked. It worked. It worked. I mean. And you were, you were able to manage. Adaptation is key, yep. man. Yep. Absolutely. To complete today's triathlon, I now had a run, a two run, a full marathon. Task requiring approximately 15,000 high impact landings on each foot. Um, in the best case scenario, the torture would last until one o'clock in the morning. So when you're talking about like helping your kids have the best time, you're at the same time needing to plan kids going to bed because kids need to go to bed and they have to have some sort of structure. And at the same time, planning for that. And dinner. And then. And laundry. You bet. And driving the next day. We never had a refrigerator. Our generator never worked. We didn't have IC. We didn't have anything. So every day it was coming up with the food for everybody. Every day it was figuring out how to do the laundry because James has all the sweaty stuff that's got to be washed every day. Every day it took me two hours every night to pack up the RV just in order to drive it. Because you can't drive with everything on the counters, right? It'll fall off, especially if Casey's driving. I mean, I was the only one that could load the car, which was the standard, onto the trailer. You know, it was loading the car. It was all these, like, I don't think people could understand the magnitude. And it, it's funny because somebody's like, I want to do this big project. I want to do this thing. And I'm like, I don't. <laughs> I probably should talk you out of this, but let me talk you out of this. Because people can't conceive the amount of effort that goes into a project like this, no matter how well-planned you are. So, yeah, I mean, we're planning on the next night. And there were days he finished at 1 in the morning. There were days he finished at 3 in the morning. There were days he finished at 10 o'clock at night. I mean, when I said there was no routine, there were, I mean, nothing. And losing time heading east, right? So then there's panic of trying to get places where we need to get, but losing time as we're changing time zones. And it's exciting. Come on, let's get you changed, Sonny said. I'll run with you. If you can't run, we'll walk. That's a support. There must have been those times where he that's all he could rely on. Just the pure love of a wife. I was the only one who could offer that to him. I was the only one. People could help carry his water. People could bike with him. But no one could offer him that sense of security. No one. I was the only one. And I knew that. And I took that job very seriously. So much we can learn on that. Just that alone. In relationships. Supporting one another. Goes both ways too. You know? Yeah. Because we all have those days. May not be as intense as this, but it's still relative. Might feel that intense though. That's right. Yeah. Might feel That's that right. intense. Where we have that that feeling of, can I go on? And to have the the love and support from someone so important, you know? Well, and there was a buildup to that for us as well. Because going through those initial world records, we didn't have any support. I mean, literally my parents were the only ones who were backing us up. Everybody else was making fun of us and, you know, telling us we couldn't do it and, you know, literally feeling like they were knocking the stool out from underneath us. So James knew by the time we hit the 50 in 2015, we'd already been through the world records in 10 and in 12. He knew that I had his back. He knew I was his ally. So by 15, we'd already practiced this for many, many years. And I was grateful for that because I knew exactly what to do. I knew exactly what he needed. So there's some power in 
those small adversities that eventually add up to creating a relationship that's indestructible. Mm-hmm. And again, going to that point of don't just jump to that. You build. There's oh, stepping stones absolutely. along the way that help strengthen you and, and develop. And, and of course, ultimately led to the 100-100, the conquer 100, yep. conquer 100. And um, so, wow. So nutrition, like just to organize the nutrition for that. I remember when I showed up in um, – Muncie, Indiana. And I come in and he's, you know, he's getting ready for the bike. And uh, he's just got this massive plate of food. Like how many calories were you planning for him? Because you had to plan all that out. I mean, yeah, that had to be pretty precise for him. So initially. And for the kids, oh, <laughs> for yeah. the wingmen and everyone else, you had to organize that. Initially, it's like we didn't really know, but then we started, you know, tracking the food and keep track of it. And so he tells people it was like 12 to 14 a day. Um, but the other part that made it hard, Joe, is that he would change his mind about what he wanted. So you'd find something that worked and then three days later, it's not working anymore. You know, and you find something else worked and then three days later, it's not working anymore. So it, there was a lot of variation in what he wanted. And you think about when you're feeling vulnerable food really is a comfort as well as nutrition. So it was really important to make sure he had what he wanted. But at the same time, I wanted to punch him in the face every day because I am like type A and he's not. And he'd wolf down stuff that wasn't good for him that, you know, he paid the consequences for later. And I was like, if you just do everything I'd say, your life would be so much better. But we have totally different personalities. So there was a lot. I mean, the food was always like a pain in the butt. I think any mom would tell you that, right? It's like, what am I going to make for dinner? You know, everything's about the food. The kids used to like this. They stopped eating it. No one's eating the leftovers. That never happens. Never happens. Not a single home in America. Not one. So along the way, to add to everything, you would have to stop and make sure that you had the nutrition. Oh, yeah. All of that packed up. And you said you didn't have a roof. No, no refrigerator. For some reason, our generator never worked. How is that possible? Well, like, it was you infuriating buy... when I filled it a few times and realized it was never going to work. Had to, you had to buy fresh stuff. Every day. Every... Oh, my gosh. Every day. Every single day. And the thing is, is like, we don't want to eat like Doritos, something you can store in the RV, right? It's like we're eating fresh stuff, stuff that has to be preserved. So it was every single day. Every day. I'm like, nothing could be, like if I was at home, you could be like, I'm going to make these banana muffins that are really high in fat, you know, that will sustain them longer and this and that and keep them in a Ziploc or whatever, put them in the freezer. Can't do that. Can't do that. It was all flying by the seat of our pants. Wow. So James talks a lot about knowing your why, knowing where you're going, your why. You must have been a part of that process to help create the why together as a team. And to be there along the way to remind them of that why. How important is the why to you? Well, I'd have to say our whys are different. That's for sure. Because the thing that kept me in my spot as the drill sergeant as well as the nurturer was I did not want him to live with regret for the rest of his life. That is so incredibly destructible. It destroys a soul. And I was like, it is my job to remind him that he wants to do this and it's going to be worth it. And we will die trying. 
So people ask me all the time, they're like, oh, are you worried about him dying? I was like, no, maybe I should have been. I think I'm the worst wife out there. I was the only one that wasn't worried about him. I was like, oh, he'll be fine. We got to get up and get going, you know. But really my why was I did not want him to suffer for the rest of his life because he didn't pull it off. So, I mean, what was his why? His why was always changing too, I think, which is his bag. You know, I have to have a bag of whys. But I had one, just one, and it was no regrets. All those jerks out there, man, that told me he couldn't do it. No, I wasn't going to let them be right. I did not want him to live with regret, and I wanted him to have that victory belt. Pretty tough for anyone to doubt at this point. Yeah. Because you did have a lot of doubters. The book talks a lot about it. And the docu- Not just doubters, and the document- but haters. And the haters, yeah. yeah. And the documentary goes into it quite sure. quite heavily. Um, great documentary, by the way. I've watched it many times. and Even even though I've had the, a, a real blessing to be able to see it first literally hand. run with James, yeah. you know, yeah. um, I can't get enough of it. It's like, my goodness. Like, and then you're like, I, I know so, him. I feel so fortunate to know, know this guy. guy. And I've seen him on all different levels and you as well. That You just compliments to both of you and your whole family that you are the same in that as you are at home. I watch the, the home environment. It's like amazing. Your kids are incredible. Thank you. Incredible. Lucy did. I mean, she did a 5k every day, right? Yeah. Every, and she was four, 12. She was 12. She was 12. Okay. Their daughter was 12 years old when this happened and she did a 5k every day of that. But her why was the same as my why. Her why was, it's the only thing I know how to do to help my dad. And I want him to succeed. Her why was, I have control. She's type A too, right? I have control if I'm with him. So if I run this 5K with him, if I run these three miles with him every day, I can hold his water. I can say the right things. I can be his pal. I can be his nurturer. It was all about helping James succeed. It meant nothing to her. The running meant nothing to her. She didn't care. And it she, meant the world to James, though, because he exactly. so much. And and it's not documented, but all the other kids, they did tons of runs with him. Tons. Father's Day, Lily and Lucy both went out and did the whole run on their bikes with him. You know, and I mean, Daisy was little. She was like nine or something at the time. She probably did 10 or 15 of the runs, you know. So it's like, it was just so cool to have all of us there as a part of it. Because after the first tour world records, they were very lonely for him. He's like, I'm not doing this third one alone. So it was really special to have everybody involved in it. Such an important part of um, setting goals and achieving goals. Um, faith and belief in yourself and your goals and your abilities, the whole bit. And I often say that um, you hear you hear that. Jim Rohn statement, you become the sum total of the five people you hang out with most. It's so valuable, it's so important to be surrounded by people who are actually cheering you on, who want you to succeed. Well, that's parenting. You're modeling. Mm-hmm. Your kids become what you model for them. Mm-hmm. The good, the bad, and the ugly, right? So it was imperative for us to be modeling for our children what we were trying to teach them. And again, to be autonomous, respectable, kind adults in society. The only way to do that is to model it yourself. Which they do. And that extends out to anyone who's wanting to set goals. You know, we're, we're going into the new year here and people are going to be setting goals. How so important it is to surround yourself with people who are going to cheer you on. So There's true. enough people out there that 
Um, whether you're, you got the people who are trying to pull you down when you're doing the 50, 50, 50 or the conquer hundred, whatever, or just an everyday person who's trying desperately to accomplish whatever that goal is insert here. Like James says, everyone has their own hard. So important to be around the people who are not going to pull you down. Hello everyone. Joe Morton here for a cup of Joe podcast. I want to say thank you to our sponsor today, King Cool Plunge. These guys are incredible. I love this product that they've prepared. It allows you to be able to get into cold plunging and stay consistent with that. Whatever temperature you want to set it at has a filtration system. It looks cool. It looks amazing. I love their colors. I love cold plunging for the purpose of just overall health and wellness for body, mind, and spirit. I love the way I feel when I use it. Helps me become present in the moment, very mindful. There is no way that you cannot be in the present moment when you get into a cold plunge. And King Cool Plunge is a phenomenal product for that. Check them out, kingcoolplunge.com and use the discount code ACOJ. King Cool Plunge is spelled K I N G K O O L Plunge. Their Instagram handle is King Cool Plunge or their website is kingcoolplunge.com. So check them out. Thank you very much. Make it a great day. When I'll say this, it's okay to be alone. If you can't find them, be alone. 100%. Because, I mean, I, I always feel like I had tons and tons and tons of friends. Like, I've always been wildly social. And then when I decided I didn't want to be um, a pushover anymore, I decided to set up boundaries. My association list dropped dramatically. And I was like, oh, these are all the people that I set boundaries for that don't want to be my friend anymore, you know? So those times it's okay to stand alone. Stand alone until you find those people who will lift you up because they exist and they're out there. If you're doing it, they will come find you. That is a that is a principle of success that you hear over and over and over again, what you just brought up, which is if you need to drop certain people that are not supportive of you, as tough as that can be, that's how much you want your goal because you, you have to do that because some people just don't want that for you, which is sad. You know, it it's the more successful you become, the more you realize that too, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? It's like, I told, I told somebody the other day, I said, I've spent my whole life really trying to empower people and, you know, like help people out. I've always been really service oriented. I've always been altruistic. It's like, I love helping people. But then I realized one day, well, no one's doing that for me. I want somebody to lift me up. I want somebody to be saying, I'm better than you. Let me teach you, mm-hmm. you know, instead of me always dragging people along or trying to empower them or babysit them. So I'm in a stage in my life where I'm looking for those five people that will help bring me up, that will help empower me. Because, you know, when you're a giver, you spend a lot of your time with takers. And I'm like, I don't want to do that anymore. You know, I want to be with these people who empower me and make me feel like I can do these successful things rather than people are like, hey, yeah, you go succeed so that I can take from you, you know? Mm -hmm. So what's one thing that you, that you do, that you practice that helps you when you're in those alone moments to motivate yourself, to have that self-belief and that self faith in what you're doing in yourself? What's something that you do? That's an interesting question because I almost feel like I used to be better at it. I feel like I'm not as good at it now. I feel like I, 
I'm at a point in my life where I'm kind of like, well, now I don't know what I want to do with my life. What am I doing? You know, I'm in this midlife crisis of my kids are transitioning and, you know, it's just, I think every, especially a mom, every mom goes through it because your kids become more independent and you're just kind of like, I mean, I'm only 42. I still have a lot of life left. So I am obsessively organized and you know, with routines and things like that. Like I do a lot of that stuff. But when it comes to diving in and taking the plunge, I have a lot more resistance. I am not a risk taker. So being married to somebody is a risk taker. I mean, we are complete opposites. He's the dreamer. I'm the executor, you know. So um, I think to keep myself in, I, it's, I, I rely a lot on my faith where I expect God to give me the courage. Because even with all these other projects, it was God that said, do it. And I knew it would work out because he's the one that said do it. And I never knew what that next step was going to be. But I knew because he said so, it was the right direction. So with my own life now, I'm at a point where I'm asking God, like, okay, where are my efforts supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing? And I keep getting the answer, well, just keep doing what you're doing. But when you're a type A person, you always want to be on full charge. You know, the steam train, it's like a bullet train that's headed fast as you can instead of a slow choo-choo. And I'm ready to like dive into something. But God keeps saying, not yet. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. So I'd really have to say the answer to that question is leaning on my faith to receive that direction, to know where to go and to have the courage to do it. That's powerful. That's powerful. Um. Fears must have come along the way for you, for James. I'll be honest. They never did. No. I was never afraid because what was the worst thing that could happen? I mean, like you could say he could die, but any one of us could die at any moment of any day. So that's not really a fear. I never doubted. I never worried. I never even went to that place because I knew what we were supposed to be doing. And I knew it was going to happen. All I knew is that we had to get up and start every single day. Now, there was disaster every day, but it never made me doubt or it never made me fear. It just made me go deeper into my problem solution. I'm like a master solution person. So it just made me go deeper into that. Um, my weakness is definitely relaxing and pulling back. It's not diving in. So my, more of my struggles were finding the ability to like find a Zen in a Zenless circumstance. Now, James, I don't know. I don't know if he had fears and, you know, stuff like that because quitting was never an option. So, I mean, maybe he was afraid that something could happen that would stop him. But to me, I was like, oh, nothing's stopping us. I don't care if a leg's broken. We'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. So maybe, like I told you, I, maybe I should worry more, you know? It's worked out. Maybe I should be more sensitive. It's worked out. I'm a really bad worrier. I never think like, oh no, what if, what if, what if? I My mind never goes there. It's just not in my blood. Where did that come from in your life? Did you, did you ever have moments? I don't know. I come from a big family. Like I'm seven of eight kids. My older siblings were really rebellious. It was a really contentious upbringing, but my dad was an entrepreneur. And I mean, he stood by James the whole time through this, right? Because he was just like, Hey, you got nothing to lose. So what? It doesn't work out. Try again, try again, try again, kind of a thing. Um, I just don't know. I, I don't know if it's just, I mean, like a lot of times I always feel like God will let me know if something's wrong. 
So it's that faith that I, I trust that God will let me know. But I just am like, why would I waste energy on something? I'll just come up with a solution. Like I'm, I'm totally solution oriented. So even if something goes wrong or something doesn't work out, it's like, well, we'll figure it out. I think that's why when we lost everything in the recession, that didn't even bother me because I was like, well, we'll just figure it out. You know, and it, there was a lot of pain in that, in those solutions, but like, what's pain? Who cares? It's only temporary. You choose how long you hold on to that pain. And I had that power and control. So I'm like, so what? Like, it's going to hurt. You're going to get a shot. It's going to hurt. So what? I don't know. I don't know if I was taught that. I don't know if, you know, I just don't worry. Such a great attitude though, to, for whatever everyone's, I mean, we all have our challenges. But am I heartless because I don't worry, Joe? Not at all. (laughs) Not at all. In fact, it's a superpower. I would say it's a superpower because you have so much faith and belief that it will work out. It's the consider the lilies. It's the consider the lilies, you know? Yeah, 100%. And whatever happens is supposed to happen. And I I don't necessarily believe that everything happens for a reason, but I do believe there's reason in everything happening. Because I mean, like you talk about a lot of the tragedies that happen in this world. I think it would be unfair and heartless to say, well, that happened for a reason. I mean, that's terrible. But to be able to say, now there, you can find some reason because that happened. So to me, I'm like, whatever happens in this life, we we can shape our future and our destiny from what happens. I mean, if James and I hadn't been through what we went through, our story would not be the same. My dad used to always say, no one cares if there's no story. And he's right. Had this whole thing been easy, no one would care. It was seeing the suffering that made the project so empowering. If there was no suffering, no one would care. Did you have a did you have moments where you would say, All right, I just have to go by faith that I'm gonna learn what needs to be learned, that James is gonna learn, we're gonna learn as a family what needs to be learned during this, because I don't know. Hundred percent. And I looked for it. Because I believe that if you don't learn, you'll keep getting the same lessons until you do. And so I was like, well, I don't want to do this again. So I'm going to try to figure out what I'm supposed to be learning right now, the first time. I don't need to be hit in the face 10 times before I learned duck, duck from the bat being swung, you know. So I was constantly looking for purpose and reason in the struggles and in the hardship. Such a great attitude that we can all have. In life, And it's a little bit tough when you're going through, when, when someone's going through something. For sure. To have that attitude of consider the lilies, just consider the lilies. Like, uh, it's going to work out. I don't know how it's going to work out, you know. Well, and there's always people that have it worse. And, you know, like I, I'm a big advocate for experiencing your emotions too. I mean, like you feel it, you feel upset, you let it out, man. Like I'm, I'm really bad at being fake. I tell people that all the time. I'm like, maybe I should be faker. Like there's all these fake nice people out there and they seem to have a lot more people that like them. Maybe I need to be more fake. You Very know? enduring though. Honestly, I love that about you. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you do. <laughs> but I'm like, it's just, I'm not, I'm not very good at not just being who I am. So I'm advocating feeling emotions, but at the same time, I also have no problem saying, Man, this could have been way worse. I mean, I just I just had this wicked cold. And I was so grateful. It happened the day after I got back from my anniversary trip. I was like, I don't even care about this cold. I am so grateful that it happened after we got back from our trip. I'm so grateful that I, I can take the time to just relax and, you know, get well from this and whatever. The cold didn't even matter to me because I was so grateful for the timing. 
So, I mean, experience the emotions, but it can always be worse. There's so many people who have it worse out there that I will never, I will never feel sorry for myself. Is is gratitude a part of that for you? Like an important important practice for you? 100%. I'm like, there's not one minute that goes by in my life that I'm not feeling immense gratitude. Because I've, I mean, I've traveled all over the world. I've seen lots of people of different statuses. I've seen a lot of people really struggle. I mean, how many people haven't been able to maintain a happy, healthy marriage? Just that in itself. You know, my parents have been married for 55 years or something. And, you know, I was I had the fortune of growing up with both of my parents in the home. And, you know, there's a lot of things to be grateful for, advantages that I've had that other people haven't had, that I cannot go to bed one night without feeling overwhelmed with gratitude. It can really change. It just changes your emotions almost. And your yeah, it automatically turns you up, right? Well, and who likes to be around people who aren't grateful? It's so annoying. There's somebody in my life that I, I've done a lot of generous things for. And every time it's like, well, yeah, but how come you didn't do this? And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Why did you give this to me? It doesn't even fit anybody. I'm like, I'm sorry. I just gave you that free stuff, man. Like I could have just taken it to DI, you know? But like, no one wants to be around those people. They're really hard to be around. And I'm like, I don't want to be like that. You know, I want people to feel good when they're with me. I want to like leave glitter on them that they can never get off. That when they move forward in their life, they look down every once in a while and that glitter still stuck in their hair or their clothes. And gratitude just ushers in abundance. It oh ushers gosh, in this abundance mentality of just, you see the world differently. Well, and you can even take that on a literal level where this person who doesn't appreciate me doing nice things for them, I'm just going to stop. I'm going to go give to somebody else who does appreciate it. Mm-hmm. That's a literal sense. But now you take it to the energy of the universe or you take it to God's blessings. Like the universe does not want to do nice things for you if you do not recognize them. Mm-hmm. And if you don't pay it forward, that's important too. Mm-hmm. 100%. And paying it forward really is an abundant mentality. And where does that come from? I believe from gratitude. That's right. What you're talking about. Exactly right. And and I have no doubt that that's a big part of what was able to drive both you and James through everything is an, abor- an abundant mentality. Who would have ever thought, you know, 30 years ago that someone could say a hundred, a hundred. Yeah. Well, and gratitude no too. Human, no human has done that. Gratitude also because... How many people are granted that opportunity? Yeah, we did the work for it. How many people are granted the opportunity to pack up their life for 50 days and go do this stupid thing? You know, like. And be grateful for those moments along the way. Yeah. Yeah. And as James likes to say, you know, like I get to run today. Yeah. You know, I'm like, there's so many people that aren't well. And one of the things I did when I was younger is I. Uh, even still, uh, you see people that are older than you, you're like, okay, what are they doing that's not working that I can fix today? You know, so when I, being a runner, there were a lot of people that would hit 40 and they couldn't run anymore. They beat the crap out of their bodies and they had to stop running at 40. So I'd say to myself, like, okay, what do I need to do differently as a 30-year-old runner to make sure? Well, now I'm 42 and I can run anytime I want. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. And I don't need to run every day. But if I want to run, Mm-hmm. I I can run, mm-hmm. and there I can't not think about how grateful I am for that. That I have this body that performs for me, and does whatever I need it to do when I ask it to do these asinine things. Sometimes, you know, such a beautiful, beautiful message. Thank you. I'm glad that glad that you said that because 
you know, the difference, the difference between I have to do this and I get to do this, how that changes your perspective entirely. Like I have to go for my run today. I get to run today. Yeah. When everything's like that, like my mom used to say, so my aunt, her husband died and she has like 13 kids and her oldest son was only 19. And my mom said one time it was her, my mom were best friends growing up and whatever she's passed since. But my mom said one time I was complaining to her about your dad. And she looked at me and said, at least you have a husband to complain about. And my mom's like that. And my mom never complained. So I'm like, when did this happen? I don't believe you were complaining. But my mom's like, that changed my life forever. I get to have a husband to complain about, you know, that she's like, it changed my life forever. So I've, I've heard that story since I was young that I'm, you know, I've never taken that for granted. Yeah. Wow. I love that perspective. It's beautiful. So we're coming to the, uh, to the end of our time here. You run, you've had a chance to travel the world. This is just like runner to runner Mm -hmm. or biker, whatever you want to, whatever sport you choose here. But do you have a favorite place to run? Always the mountains. Always the mountains. There's serenity, and I always say there's a reason why the prophets in the Bible went to the mountains to pray to God, because there's an energy in the mountains that you can't find other places. Mm -hmm. And the ocean's beautiful. Like when I swim in the ocean, especially like Cozumel, I feel like there's spirits that live in that water. Mm -hmm. But it's the mountains. And I love the freedom of running, walking, hiking, all seasons of the year, 100%. Do you have a favorite season to run? Or hike or run or hike? No, because I love all four seasons. James always says to me, you can't say everything is your favorite. A favorite means it's the one. But I'm like, oh, fall is my favorite. Winter is my favorite. Spring is my favorite. I will never say summer is my favorite because it's too dang hot. But I love the variety, the diversity of what we get to enjoy living here in Utah with the four seasons. And they're all allotted evenly, you know. Like in Canada, they can have a really long winter. But here, they're all allotted evenly. It is. You're right. Yeah. It is quite even. It's quite even. And even if the even if the fall goes long and the winter starts late, everything kind of corrects itself. Mm-hmm. So there's so much beauty and bounty to each season mm-hmm. that you really get to experience in the mountains. Because mm-hmm. that's where you get to see the trees. That's where you get to see the animals. That's where you get to see everything. The wildflowers, the spring flowers. It's the best. And there's no mountains like Utah, man. I've mm, been all over the world. Incredible. I love them here. I love it. I love them. So you've done a lot of swimming, biking, running. Do you have a favorite? I love all three of them exactly yeah. the same. Yeah. Yeah, I love them. Mm. Again, because it's not about like the racing. It's about the training. Yeah. It's the movement, the experience of each event that I love. So you know your husband challenged me to do his, or did you know that? Yes. I know. Oh, Maybe I know. <laughs> I know. I'm so excited for you. Listen, that bike is so beautiful. I did that bike with Carly a couple years really? ago, and it is just the most beautiful ride. Oh, I, I'm, so I'm so excited for you. I'm stoked. I'm 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 training for it, and and I it's forgot, all in the mountains. I know, and I forgot how much I like swimming because yeah. I truthfully haven't swam since the hundred. Since you had to, yeah. Since yeah. you had to, I I did quite a few of the swims with them. I I enjoyed it. It's a different experience in the pool, you know, for sure. Than to go open water, completely different. But um. I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm loving the swimming. Yeah. Like it's like I get lost in the swimming. It's therapeutic. Very man. therapeutic. You therapeutic. really are in the moment. You're not listening to music. That's one of the sports you really, mm-hmm. when training, I mean, I mean, there are systems out there. They don't work. I've tried everything. They don't work. So 
you're in your head. People say all the time, like, how do you swim? It's so boring. Or how do you get those head water, those headphones underwater? I'm like, I don't listen to music on the bike and the run. I never, it is all about the Zen, man. You get in that water, that therapeutic on your body and it's silent. It is just unbelievable. I love it. I completely agree. Well, Sunny Joe, so wonderful to have you here. Thank you, sir. I could go on for an hour or two just talking like this. This is fascinating and I'm so grateful for your time, truly. I'm honored that you would join here. Well, I'm so honored you chose me as a guest. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for taking the time. Sonny Joe Lawrence, seriously, an an amazing pillar of strength and uh, support and leader in our community, in the endurance sports community, um, known all around the world. Grateful to have you here, Sonny Joe. And uh, happy Merry Christmas to you. That time stamps this a little bit, but <laughs> going okay. into this wonderful season. And uh, thank you for joining on this episode of A Cup of Joe. My name is Joe Morton, and I wish you a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you.